0: stories turn songs into symphonies, events into memories, and lives into legends. In our crowded world, knowing your story cuts through the noise so you can make your mark, whether you want to sell more books, increase profits, or just make a difference. At Sterling & Stone, story is our business. The Story Studio Podcast is where we explore ways we can all tell our stories better. And now, with the Story Studio Podcast number four, here's Johnny, Sean, and Dave.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Story Studio podcast. We were going to broadcast on Facebook Live today. That didn't happen. Okay, so we'll do that next time. Uh, Fridays at two fifteen Central. Anyway, so today um, we're going to do a, a fun show. This is this is uh, the well. The other ones were fun too, I suppose. Um, are you gonna... saying that this show isn't fun? It is fun. I'm just getting used to it because toward the end, the last show wasn't as fun, and so <laughs> it's I'm getting used to it again. Uh, Dave, gonna... are you having fun? I am having a ball, Can't it you looks know? like it
2: well your your blue eyes are are dazzling as always, so yes.
1: I can just imagine, like you look down at Dave's Zoom window, and he literally has a ball. He isn't having any fun at all, but he didn't
3: really
2: <laughs>
1: have to find a ball. He just holds it on his lap. <laughs> yeah,
2: so,
3: have know, a
1: pet basketball. basketball. I'm having a ball right now. Uh, so we're gonna break down the pilot of Breaking Bad, um, which is a really good example of sort of a bunch of things in in terms of story. Whether you are a writer, whether you are any sort of a, a literal story creator, or whether this is something that you may apply to. Your personal life or brand we'll see if we can make some of those connections too but um this is just a good intro to sort of you know what what really is story on more of a nuts and bolts level and sometimes stories work and sometimes they don't and sometimes you leave a movie and you go just something wasn't right and i'm not sure what it was uh those are the sorts of things that we want to start to pay attention to
2: yeah a, a lot of um a, a lot of people who just start out writing or, or even who have been writing for a while but are just you know really determined to to not map out their stories. And just kind of write from the hip. Uh, there's two kinds of writers there. They're the ones that they get through it and end up telling a really good story, despite not having you know any kind of structure outline. And then they're the ones who just fumble. And the ones who fumble, um, it's because they don't have a really intrinsic understanding of story and structure. The people who manage through it, it's not because they didn't follow structure. It's because they have an understanding of structure that maybe they can't even articulate which one of my favorite Dave stories actually is only a few months old. Very Davey Christmas? No, sorry, it's not that one. Um, It's when he was doing some outlines and we were talking about structure on the phone and he says, I don't know story structure. And I said, but you do, you do. And the reason that outlines take you so long or writing doesn't take you or takes you so long sometimes is because you're rebelling against a structure that you know and you understand but you can't articulate. So when you're reading through your story and you're like, this isn't right. I can't pass this off to Sean, yet it's not right. And so that's what Dave will do. He'll throw out 10, 20, 30,000 words and write them again because he knows in his heart of hearts that th- there's something wrong with them. He can't just pass them off. And that's Dave isn't a studied story structure guy, but he's a studied story structure guy. And, I'm and...
3: idiot savant emphasis. <laughs> <on>
2: idiot. <laughs> well, you completely understand the story. <clears throat> And so when we're talking, like in a story meeting, Dave is as bright and brilliant, like lit up as any other person you would talk to about story. But sometimes when he gets lost in the words and he, you know, it's that structure that trips him up and he can't necessarily define why something isn't working, but he knows. Like it's just clanging in his in his ear. And so the more we break it down, the more times you break down story, the more it does become second nature and you can see the patterns because story patterns are the key to not only creating work that's better and and it's faster, but that it's just more enduring
1: because it touches something more um, permanent. Yeah. Robin and I are watching Shameless now after Sean was talking about it being good. And I called some shit a few episodes ago that I was like, okay, this, and I don't want to say it because it's a spoiler because it's too bad because it was kind of a cool thing. And I was like, if they're doing the right thing, they're, this thing's going to happen. And Robin's like, oh, no, that can't happen. Like, it was something that was really kind of impossible. <laughs> it's like, if they're doing it right, then then it'll happen. And um, that's the sort of thing you start to notice. You're like, you know, you begin to realize what should happen in a story to kind of complete arcs that people are expecting, even if they can't articulate it. That's the important thing. Your fans, or if you aren't actually somebody creating art and you're you're just kind of telling your brand story, people, people have these expectations about story, even if they don't know it and couldn't articulate it. And if you do it wrong then something will be off for them, and they just kind of won't like your story as much as they maybe should.
3: Well, it's sort of like music. I think that uh, music is set up in such a certain way that you you expect a certain thing even though you don't know it yet. And if the music does something a little bit differently, it's jarring to you, and either you'll really like it or you'll really dislike it. (laughs) Yes.
2: Right. Okay. That's a really good point. Because when you when you are jarring, when you clang against the established rules, that can be really, really effective. But only when you know what you're doing. So if a director who understands how to it, when David Fincher messes with the rules, it's amazing. When James Julian messes with the rules, it's oh, Everybody in
1: case, yes, that that is the the epic director of Birdemic, for those of you who are heathens. That- that opening
3: driving and getting gas <laughs> montage is perhaps not a, not a montage. It's a one. Nobody it's- gets <laughs> gas quite like that guy.
2: <laughs> you can gas for 15 minutes. I got that gas is, watching. That is gas.
3: cinematic brilliance uh, that I haven't oh. seen in forever.
2: <laughs> so, and, and it's funny too, because I would say that it's, you know, it's a confident, like you need to be a confident storyteller and, you know, James Guyan, unfortunately, is a very confident storyteller. He's just like the William Hung of directors. He's just, it's a false confidence. Now, going back to to Vince Gilligan, I think Breaking The showrunner of Breaking Bad and creator of Breaking Bad. Yeah, sorry, the showrunner of Breaking Bad and um, Better Call Saul, which Dave actually, I think, likes more than Breaking Bad. Is that right, Dave?
3: At the moment, yes. Um, yeah. He, he also, I, I believe he got his start on X-Files and his episodes yeah, were among the best. He's just great.
2: Yeah, he's his his instinct for story is is really remarkable and the 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 pilot for Breaking Bad is one of the best pilots ever. And he didn't know where this show was going. What he knew was he didn't know how he'd get there. He knew what where he was going, which I think is a really good place to start a story. You don't necessarily need to know all the details, but you kind of need to know the end and his premise, Dave, you want to give the premise from the very beginning?
3: Well, it was Mr. Chips uh, turns to Scarface, Mr. Chips being um, uh, an old character from English movies, uh, like a shy teacher. So basically turning this meek man into like a very scary, vicious drug lord.
2: (laughs) And that's that's a hell of a journey. And for five years, we get to watch that. And what's remarkable about the pilot isn't just that it stands on its own, which it absolutely does. It's, It's its own piece of just it's a wonderful piece of art just that 49 minutes or whatever it is but what it does really well is set up the entire premise for the entire series and at no point does the show sell itself out you see a lot of shows that have brilliant pilots and these great great premises and they set up this world and establish all these rules and characters and arcs and then by Season three, they're done. Like they've <laughs> they haven't been able to fulfill the promise of their original headline, and Vince Gilligan and company never ever waver from that original headline. You know, we're going to turn Mr. Chips into Scarface. So, um, so I, I don't know. Do you guys want to dig in as like kind of an over, like what the pilot is, and then go bit by bit. Or how right. do we I do
3: want to say also that this pilot is the opposite of Marvel Agents of Shield's pilot, which was a fucking train wreck. And gave that that show actually did get better, although I gave up on it, but it gave absolutely no idea what that show is going to become. And it was just an absolute nightmare. (laughs) So this is watch. You can watch the two to get an idea of what to do and what not to do. All
1: right. So So, uh, where do we where do we where do we begin? Well, opening or what?
2: Uh, well, that's, that's the question. Do we want to like cover it? Hey, here's what happens or well, well, just let, let's, a let's, let's, little bit by little bit and what they're
1: accomplishing. Yeah. yeah so maybe, that. maybe a know your why thing, you know? So what, what were, what did they want to accomplish? So when we say to set up the show, because that's the purpose of a pilot is to set up the show, but it's not just the situation it's to set up um, expectations the and the world and um, the, Theme. The baseline, yeah, theme and the baseline feeling that a viewer in this case or a reader in a bookcase is going to have about the characters. Because the, the you know, the showrunners, the creators have in mind they want you to feel a certain way about Walter White, and they want to establish that early in the very first episode. It's it's preframing. Well, I think a
3: lot of what they did in the, the first few episodes, they they had to make this guy likable and put him in a situation where You would understand his motivations somewhat. And and he starts off as a teacher, very meek. Uh, He is very emasculated in the first episode. Like he's got this very, um, you know, alpha male sort of brother in law named Hank who works for the DEA. Is he aggro? Uh, he he's an all right guy I, i've seen way worse so uh oh, he, I,
2: I, I like hank he is a bulldog yeah. but, but you like him and you know his heart is always in the right place right
3: but like he, he makes fun of walt being like you know the brain and uh you know makes some effeminate sort of jokes so he like hands him a gun he's but like he's oh real man
2: bully. he's like he's the he's like that's how your your brother-in-law would kind of be right he's just he's he's busting his balls but he's a good guy and he's the kind of guy who thinks Oh my brother-in-law's a little wimpy but whatever like uh, I'll be nice to him and you know he's he's not a bad guy. And, and
3: basically Walt uh you know he he's a guy that's kind of done a lot of the things you're supposed to do in life to get to where you need to be but his life isn't turned out as well as it should be. He's teaching but he's like not making any money. The, the whole first episode drops little you know little things on how they're struggling with money a lot. Uh but in in, in a the very busted
2: pipe. Do they have the pipe in the first episode, right? Like I the don't le- remember
3: that, but the, the the wife is like selling stuff on eBay and stuff and just in
1: uh the She's wife and her might be
2: at a car wash, which is like if yes. you're
1: and if being you're t- beaten up at the car wash, like this <laughs> shitty job where the guy is giving him tons of crap for it
2: and the the teenagers who are in his like school are watching yeah, yeah. him watch this a car asshole that's named about
3: Chad it. takes a picture of him Hey, Mr. White and takes a picture of him right
2: that's about as humiliating as you can get and i think that the the writers do an amazing job of making you feel kind of the purgatory of this guy's life and and there's subtle hints they don't get into it until deeper into the show but there's subtle hints that he could have been something really great
3: that, yeah, actually, episode three or four, they they introduced that with the uh, the flashbacks. Of, yeah, he was like, uh I don't know if it, he he worked with a, a partner that on on his brilliant business sort of thing, and he he basically he 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 got out of it. So I forget how exactly he got out of it, but basically he well, lost. He kind of got.
2: Yeah, he kind of got squeezed out of it. So, this is a rabbit hole. We don't need to go deep down there, but, but they do this brilliantly because they have Walter in shadow. So, you can't, like, it's his voice and it's his movement, but he's young and he's, it's all done. It's all done with framing. So, they have him in the first few episodes, like, his shoulders are just dragging on the floor. Like, the dude has no posture. He has no confidence. And then they have this flashback where he's in shadow, and you can see his hair is a little bit longer, but he's almost got like a Chris Christofferson vibe. He's just strong shouldered and leaning forward, and, and he's got a, a barrel to his voice. And you're talking just- about ideas and stuff, stuff that
3: excites him and inspires him. And now he's a teacher, and nobody's paying attention to him. His students are like completely ignoring him. <laughs> so he's gone from like this person full of life and ideas to somebody that nobody cares about. He's marginalized. Uh, totally
1: just nothing. And remember that when you do this sort of thing, if you're, if you're a creator or when other people are doing it basically to you, <clears throat> that the idea is that the people who are watching, who, the people who are consuming the story, you want to resonate within them because people aren't really feeling for Walter. They're feeling for themselves, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's clanging something within like I could have, you know, everybody feels that they could have been a little more. Everybody feels that like they've missed some opportunities. Everybody feels a little beaten down by somebody. And so they're trying to hit those chords so that it isn't that you necessarily feel them. It's, it's an empathetic connection because you have those moments as well. Dave watched the pilot and thought lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So do we want to, you want to hit
3: on a few of the scenes like in order, like the opening scene and stuff like that? Yep. And why,
1: uh, right. And why they did them. We open with, Okay, go ahead, Dave, Dave.
3: So the opening scene just shows you pants falling from the sky. And Breaking Bad, over the course of its history, has a lot of cool opening shots where the payoff isn't right away. Sometimes the payoff wasn't until later in the season, which is just uh, amazing. And Pink it, teddy bear, it re- anyone? It, it rewards patience, and it, and it I think it added to the whole mythology of the series, where like people that really like like shit like this they got into it they're running okay how's this gonna pay off so the opening scene was just pants flying or or falling down and then you see walt in his underwear uh wearing a gas mask just in his underwear driving an rv with jesse who you don't know yet in the show passed out next to him rv crashes or sirens in the distance he's freaking out grabs a video camera records a message to his family lays his out lays out his wallet grabs his gun puts on a shirt, walks out into the road and waits for the cops, gun drawn, and that's what you see. And then it goes to the
2: title screen. I'm like, what the fuck happened to this guy? (laughs) Yeah, and then they go... I mean, that's a pretty jarring, exciting opening. And then they go to the opposite, and now we're just in the most boring life possible.
3: Yeah, it does three weeks earlier. Like, it goes flashback now, and then most of the episode is leading up to that moment. Uh, and he's like eating, he's, he wakes up in the morning and he's in a spare bedroom in his house and there's like paint samples uh, taped to the wall and like diaper boxes of so you know a baby's coming. I mean, it, it's delivering visually stuff so you don't have exposition, you don't have to do that. Then he's eating fam- uh, breakfast with his wife and his, his son. Who, uh, Wait,
2: I don't know if it's breakfast. It's like some kind of like soy bacon or something. It, it's
3: veggie bacon and he hates it. And this further adds to the emasculation and powerlessness of this man who just like his wife is telling him exactly what to eat and he's just like, okay. And just like, he's completely fucking miserable. He's
2: just doing what he's told. He has no joy in his life. And he, I mean, Dave said, I think the word three times already. He's emasculated. He's just, he is a... a a a zombie just wandering through an existence.
3: Yeah, and I I think the emasculation is a very strong component of this first episode and how it ends, which we'll get to later. But anyway, uh, so so then he's in school and um, he's teaching his class. He drops his son off at school. His son's on crutches. I don't know if they ever say exactly what's wrong with his son, Uh, but he's uh, then he's in class in kids are ignoring him in class and he's just like, he's talking. Oh, he does. Um, th- this is one of the things I liked about the episode where, and I didn't realize this until I just rewatched it for this show, but he's, he's asking, you know, what what is chemistry? And nobody answers. So he answers and he says, chemistry is a study of change, growth, decay, transformation. Mm. Oh yeah. That's Mm -hmm. so good. And and that's
2: pretty much summing up a lot of the themes of the series. Right. And if you can do that without, it's very difficult to do that with the elegance that Gilligan.
3: Yeah. It it wasn't heavy handed or hitting you over the head with it at all. It was so, so I missed it the first time.
2: (laughs) Right. And if, and, a great artist can do that can basically turn to the camera and say hey this is what we're talking about but it has to be just deftly done because it it can be terrible
3: so then there's this one kid in the back of the class named Chad uh who he he's flirting with his girlfriend and Walt tells him to go back to his desk and the kid like drags his chair really loud across the floor and he's like glaring at him the whole time like fuck you I and mean, it just and you can tell Walt
2: would just like to punch the guy in the fucking face. Yes, and we've all been in that room. We've all had that kid in our class, we've all felt bad for that teacher or thought it was funny, right? And and so we just we we really feel Walt at this moment, and it only gets worse from there because then this is when he leaves school and he goes to the car. <laughs>
3: Well, yes, he goes to the car wash, and his boss is. His boss tells him, "You know, somebody calling sick. You got to go out there." And I've had jobs like this, and it's basically like a power play. Like I'm going to make you do the thing you don't want to do, just because fuck you. I'm better than you. Didn't and, that usually include um, poo on the walls for you, Dave? <laughs> <Or in the laughs> toilet. Yeah, people shitting in the sink in the bathroom. Um, so anyway, yeah, he's 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 washing cars, even though he's, he's tired. He doesn't want to be doing this shit. And plus, he's a teacher. And then Chad comes along with his... Not just girlfriend. a teacher,
2: but he used to be a part of, or, or he could have been a part of Grey Matter, this yeah. amazing, like, billion dollar company.
3: So then Chad comes by with his girlfriend, they're laughing at him, and he takes a picture of him. And so then, then the very next scene is Walt driving home, and he's fighting unsuccessfully with its glove compartment it just keeps going down another sim another sign that they're struggling with money i mean he would have this fixed if if he could but he's just keeps banging it but nope it's it's not going up it's just another annoyance and then he goes home and uh, he walks in the door and then surprise, like all his family and friends are there. And you realize it's his 50th fucking birthday party. <laughs> and he doesn't want, he doesn't want these people there. He probably just wants to fucking go to bed and forget the day's even happening.
2: Yeah. Okay. This is my favorite scene maybe in the whole thing. Cause it's just so sad. So this is the dude's 50th birthday party and like he's going to bed and all right, it's, it's, it's time. He's going to have sex with his wife. But no, he gets the most like bored hand job in history while she's on the computer, and I you just feel so bad for the dude, and he's just like, wow, this is a really shitty existence. This guy is just drifting through life.
3: Well, you did jump ahead a little bit at the birthday parties where they introduced the seed of the meth thing because Hank. Oh yeah, Hank. Well, Hank hands. Uh, walt jr his gun and walt's like no 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 and then he hands it to walt and he's like kind of emasculating him over the fact that he not wanting to hold the gun and it's kind of funny seeing walt not wanting to hold the gun when later on he would be pretty vicious with that gun or a gun uh, but that's
2: that's part of the arc exactly yes, yes if he if he holds it like in that scene if he looks at it with wonder or like oh i you know like bang bang like he's trying to be he's right. not. Like it's not his character at all. He's like, oh,
3: it's heavy. My limp wrist. I can't hold it. <laughs> right. So uh so so then Hank turns on the TV because he's got all his uh DA or uh buddies there, and they turn on the TV and Hank's giving an interview about a meth house that they just bust busted up and and then then that, there's that little spark and Walt's like how much money's in that? Like almost, sort of casually. Yeah. It's like, "Oh yeah, I'll lie." It's super stupid, easy to make money. Well, until you get busted, ha ha ha. And then, then, then the the seed is planted for for Walt. So yeah, then then we have the 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 lackluster hand job, uh, and then at the fifteen minute mark of the
2: show, um, I I I don't know if this is the inciting event. Maybe. Well, kind of. I mean, it's definitely everything is set up. To this point, because yeah. they've given us enough information to know, all right, this guy's life sucks. Um, he's not happy, but he loves his family. You can tell, I mean, he's he's duty-bound. You can tell that he loves his family. He'll do what's necessary, but he's not enjoying life. He doesn't feel any, he doesn't feel an ounce of respect. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, and with no respect, it's hard for him to have drive. The two we find out with Walt are absolutely not just related, but um, codependent.
1: Yeah, we'll do a structure episode later. But basically, when in any story, you want to establish what normal looks like for your your hero, and or your protagonist, and then you want to disrupt it. There's something where it's like, okay, this is normal, and here's you, you begin to see the seeds of dissatisfaction, uh, either either for the actual person in the situation or you as the viewer watching and going, that isn't right. And then there's something that comes to mess it up.
3: So so he's at the car wash and all of a sudden there's just like loud sort of piercing noise and you know if it's like a TV effect or if this is something he's actually you know he's feeling experience whatever the case he he sees a pretty woman and then he just passes out walking down the street yeah so passes out and then he wakes up in an ambulance uh, he asks the ambulance driver just drop me off somewhere I can't really afford this. And then immediately, that's he's in, really sad. I remember feeling
2: really, really sad for him when he said that. Just like, oh fuck, poor
3: guy. Yeah. So then he's in an MRI machine. Then he's in the doctor's office, where the doctor basically tells him he has inoperable lung cancer. And Walt is just at this point, he's like, okay, he's just shocked. He he doesn't. He but he has no emotion. Like all his emotional uh, reserves are gone. He's just like, no, he's zero F. This is There's one more there. punch in the gut. Okay. Well, yep. That's so. Then he goes home. Uh, His wife's on the phone with a bill collector. He doesn't say a word about the fucking cancer. So, and and then we get to the 20 minute mark of the show. Uh, And I think this is his first act of defiance of seizing control of his life because he's at, he's at the end. I mean, he's just, nothing else could go wrong. So what the fuck? So he's at the car wash, uh, that same loud buzzing noise in his head. And his boss comes and tells him to, Go wash fucking cars again, and it, it, I mean, this is after the dude fucking falls down. So what the fuck? So then he curses out. He curses out. The the guy walks out of the fucking
2: place. Wait, just backtracking for a second. What did you feel when he doesn't tell Skylar his wife?
3: <clears throat> I kind of expected that. Uh, I I think he I think he doesn't want to put burden on her because they got all these bills and she's pregnant and you know, like I think he just wants to. I think a lot of men are like this. My father is like this. Like you just, you just heap it on all yourself. You're like this. Fuck you. <laughs> this is you. Nah, fuck you. <laughs> uh, just you, you, you take it on all yourself and you just try to fucking deal with it. And you don't want to burden other people. And, and yeah, I think a lot of people are like that. So, um, so then, then we just get a real quick scene of him throwing matches in a pool um, and the, the only thing of note about this scene is one, the pool isn't filled, although it is filled later. I
2: think Vince Gilligan has a pool fetish. That's what I think.
3: Yeah. They use a the pool a lot in this show, uh, and usually to good effect. Um, and then, but, but then, then we get the, the, the next sort of transition here where he calls Hank and he's like, I want to go on the ride along. So then 22 minutes in, we're, we're on the ride along. And this is where sort of all the elements sort of come together for the show. He, um, Hank, Hank uh, Gomez, his partner, and uh, Walt's in the back, and they're going to bust up this drug house uh, of somebody named Captain Cook. Um,
2: oh, I love, I love that. There's a lot of really good writing just in the Captain Cook stuff.
3: Yeah. And, and Hank and Gomez are disagreeing whether uh, Captain Hook will be a white guy or a quote beaner. And they're betting. They're betting. Hank's betting he's a Spanish guy. Um, and then the DEA agents swoop in and they get the guy. And Hank's on the phone. He's like, okay, what is it? Who, who is it? And the guy is like Emilio, but he has like an Asian last name. So they kind of they decide to split the bet. Um, <laughs> but they, they go inside the house and. Walt's stuck in the car waiting uh, until they make sure everything's okay before he can come in. So he's sitting there waiting, and next door to that house, he sees this clumsy, like, dude just falling down the the uh, crawling out of a second story window with a naked woman, like, you know, saying "hurry go" whatever. And then he sees the guy, and he realizes that is Jesse Pinkman, one of his former students. And they make eye connection, and then Jesse jumps in a car, and the license plate actually says the Cap'n, which is probably the most heavy-handed uh, sort of thing that they've done on the show. But Jesse is kind of stupid.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I I could actually see Jesse doing that. I don't have a problem believing that. But but there's a lot of really great stuff about this scene. I, I love how um, Walt is just sitting there in the back seat. And he's kind of like a prisoner of circumstance because they're not letting him go in with the big boys. Like You stay in here like you know, the grown-ups are going to go take care well, of business. I want to make sure it's safe, though. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it is reasonable, but he still feels removed from it all. Yeah. And you kind of see him thinking and evaluating, and you're, you're kind of with him just being really observant. And then he sees Jesse, and there's a moment. I think to me, this is the first moment you see him kind of spark to life. I don't know if he has the idea right then, but there's something there. There's a seed of a seed of a seed something. Now I want to see inside. Now I'm putting it, because I think he gets some power in there. He gets power in knowing something that Hank doesn't know, Mm -hmm. right? He knows who the captain is. He has information. Now he just wants more information, and then he's going to go, you know, approach Jesse. But in that moment, he has a card that Hank doesn't have, and you see his response to it. He's buoyant.
3: So 27 minutes in, exactly halfway point of the show, uh, Pinkman is at his aunt's house, hiding his car beneath the cover, and then Walt shows up. Basically makes him a business offer for them to work together, and pretty much forces Jesse to say yes, otherwise, you know, he, he'd rat him out.
2: Yeah, this is a little like in um, <clears throat> in The Godfather, which sadly Dave still has not seen. Um. <laughs> Don't spoil it! <laughs> <laughs> there's that scene where where Michael is, you know, uh, over in Italy and he's talking to uh, Apollonia's father and basically says, you know, look, you decide. You could either inherit a son-in-law or lose a family member. <laughs> right, right? Like he's basically threatening him but it's like in the nicest way possible and um and, and there's something like that here you're you, you don't I mean, Walt is very very far from becoming Scarface at that point. But he's still he's still finding his way. He's negotiating. He is taking control of that situation. And it's the first time we get to see that. And
1: you get to see it's the first time you get to see the 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 Walter and Jesse dynamic too, where, you know, he does. There are some episodes later that it's kind of hard to watch where he really is super rough on Jesse and the viewer is on Jesse's side where he's like, he's like, dude, just calm down, man. The kid is just trying to live his life.
3: Yeah, in the third or fourth episode, Jesse actually winds up going back to his parents' house. It's an episode I completely fucking forgot about. And he's got like this... Oh, little, I love other, that
2: episode. Yeah. Yeah,
3: oh, that, yeah, there's some good stuff in that episode. And it really paints Jesse in a very sympathetic light. Um, really like him even more.
2: Yeah, Jesse's a great character. Jesse's actually one of my favorite characters in television history. And what's amazing, too, I know you both know this, but just for people listening... Um, Jesse was actually written in the pilot and was supposed to die within a couple episodes. And they just liked him so much. Like, his dynamic with Walter is great. His role in the show is like, he is a a lot of the show for me. Well, a huge part of of that that dynamic that
1: I just love is um, just, and it's little, but for the longest time, if not the entire show, I don't remember, he calls him Mr. White. Yeah, like his teacher, he doesn't. He never calls him Walt or anything like that, and that just says so much right there. Like this is a a student teacher sort of a relationship from go. And
3: yeah, we don't want to spoil what happens in the end of the series. Uh, I don't think because no, you know, these people are like interested and there's no and They want to watch the show, uh, but yeah, it's definitely the, the whole arc is very interesting. Um,
2: so, so this is what back to um, Skyler, her sister.
3: Yeah, we could we could I don't know we could jump over. Do you want to something. talk about
2: Marie's um always dressing in purple? Is that relevant to anything? Well, actually, you know what? It is in just a tiny way. There's a lot of uh, play with color in Breaking Bad. Um, and if you look at you know uh, Walter White, his partner was someone other black, which is why they had gray matter and Jesse, Jesse Pink Pinkman. Man, and Marie is always in you know purple. Like there is a lot of color, um, thematic stuff. Going on, and we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But, 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 just it's worth saying that color, story, and color do go together. And um, filmmakers and storytellers who really understand that have a whole other um, set of tools at their disposal.
3: Right. So yeah, there's a scene with Skylar Marie. Uh, and You just get more sense of their relationship, which uh, fleshes that out. And then we go to uh, the next scene, which is Walt stealing lab surprise, supplies from the school. Uh, He goes to Jesse's aunt's house and basically Walt has already figured out, okay, this is how we're going to do the operation. And Jesse's like, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, But then there's a a hiccup and it's just like one of the first problems that we need to solve. I think every episode has to have a problem. You have to solve it. And this this being one of them, and the problem is, well, where the fuck can they cook? Because Jesse's like, you can't just cook in my house <laughs> or my aunt's house. Uh,
2: and, because- and just as an aside, <laughs> throughout the show, the different places and ways that they find to cook when they need to—it's just oh, always- that's
1: that's just fantastic. I'm trying yeah. to, yeah, you you see that sometimes in shows where it's like they, they they're just different phases of the show depending on where they are, and it's yeah, I love that as well.
2: My 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 favorite, and this isn't a spoiler. It's just when they do the, is um, it the tenting. Oh oh yeah, that one's good too. I was that's thinking. just amazing because you just walk right in. So they they do these they tent these houses like for fumigation. And I of think that episode
3: was called Bug. I think, and it's it well, like a bug up close. <laughs>
2: well, there's noxious chemicals in there. Nobody's gonna come in to see what they're doing if there is a chemical smell. Of course, that like, whole episode was in
3: that,
1: that whole episode was in that house. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the very the, claustrophobic. Yeah, the really, um, the really industrial one. I don't want to spoil anything there either, but that was my favorite. The like yeah, top and shit. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that what what another thing that's interesting here is that, um, and I always think of Stephen King when I think of the sorts of things is in in um, in his book on writing. Stephen King talks about if you don't know what to write about, he says he makes something like he come up with a premise like space plumbers. Do you remember this line from that book? And he goes well. That's actually not that bad of a concept because people love reading about work, is the way that King puts it. But the idea of something that's so esoteric, like plumbing in space. Now that's a ridiculous example, but th- there's a there's a sense in these sorts of things. Like I don't know anything about the world of cooking math. Like the idea of not that you would <laughs> you want you to, too can learn. Well, not that you would no, want but, to go cook no, I math. See what Johnny's saying. Yeah, I love watching them cook.
2: I love watching them break up the crystals. I love what I well, love is Walters passion this is his art and he cares about the purity not because he cares about the profit although he's very profit motivated too but but cooking it's just disrespectful
1: is it's intellectually disrespectful to him that people would get away with would would settle and right, he's and like, the
2: whole dynamic with him and Jesse is
1: fantastic. No, you will
2: use the right – like he's like, what about this glass globey thing? He's like, no, it's – and he's got names for everything, and you will learn the names, and you will wear your apron. Is that the you,
1: Erlenmeyer flask? Yeah, the it, chemistry in it was fascinating to off. me because he's he, – it's um, like – he because there are two – I don't remember the chemistry at all, but, but there were two basic ways to make meth, and there's the way that most people do. And then I don't know that it's in the first episode, but they end up talking about there's another way to do it. And it creates a a better meth, and I think that's what makes it blue. So, um, but that sort of thing, like you, you don't have to study that and be like, okay, now I know about methylation of blah blah blah. It's just, it's just, it sparks interest in a way that something you would know about wouldn't. Like I'm learning they, a lot about something I don't need to know about. And they also
3: had to film it. in in a way, like they had to learn how to actually make it, but they could not actually show that on TV. They had to leave out certain steps so somebody wouldn't see it as a field guide. Right. (laughs) But but they had to make it so it was accurate enough that people wouldn't call, oh,
2: bullshit. If they really wanted to monetize this, they could do the Breaking Bad guide to cooking meth and probably sell a million copies. Well, and he uses
1: that like a super, I don't want to spoil anything again here, but there's places later in the series where he uses that, strategic as a weapon like not meth but but his chemistry like he's, he's like yeah, chemistry man yeah. yeah it's in the very first episode actually so well I'm, we'll I'm thinking of a specific incident yeah, later so but let, yes.
2: let's get to let, let's circle back because I know we're we're grinding out of time but the I, I really like there is a scene where they actually and I know normally Dave hates if something like this is done but I think they do it real well here and, and you actually are okay with it but when Jesse actually confronts walt and says why are you doing this and he uses the name of the show in, in his question do you want to talk about that at all
3: i don't remember that
2: i think oh, it's oh,
1: yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah, it's yeah. perfect when they do that because people don't well what is breaking bad right yeah like, no I I, I
2: I actually like that always if it's done well i hate when it's done stupidly which is probably dave's only objection is that most people do it terribly
3: yeah, Je- Jesse just makes a comment on, uh, wh- "What's your deal? Why are you even doing this?" And you know, people like you got to stick up their ass. Don't usually break bad. So I-, I was working it into, and I do get a little cringy when I see that. But yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so, so basically, Walt, Walt. They need an RV. Walt takes all the money he has in a bank, and I don't know if he even explained it to his wife at at, at any point why he did it or if he was able to get the money back. But basically they got an RB. Uh but the second act of defiance in the show, which was my favorite yes. moment of the show. <laughs> Me too. Uh, w- Walt junior's at a clothing store and he's trying on jeans and his mom and dad have to help him. And he, he is like uh seventeen or so. He's in high school and he's he's got I don't know I don't know what if he's I think he's got so much I'm not yeah. sure.
2: Um, I, th- I think it is palsy.
3: Okay, yeah. so anyway, he's trying on jeans, and they're having to help him. and, and there's these kids, like these older, and you
2: know high- he's just humiliated anyway, and he just hates everything about this. Yeah, and
3: there's there's the older high school or college kids, like three guys, and like, oh, hey, mommy, and they're like they're mimicking him and and mocking him. And uh, Walt looks at it, and it just, something snaps inside of him, and he goes out the back of the door of the store, and he comes back into the front. Uh, Marie doesn't, or not Marie. Skyler doesn't know where he's going, so she's about to go talk to these kids because she's pissed off. And all of a sudden, Walt walks through the front door, walks right up to the kid, fucking nails him in the back of his leg, drops him to the ground, and just put puts <laughs> pressure on his leg and just snaps. And and basically says, "Come on, you want you want to fuck you like." Just, uh,
2: and 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 his family's <laughs> never seen anything like this, I and mean, they're
3: this- looking at him like, "Oh, you are awesome." <laughs> But just that that moment of of cold rage, uh, just uh, or hot rage actually, yeah that, that was just so fucking awesome to see. Don't you find all rage hot, Dave? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> so so then so then um, so then we're in the desert with the RV uh, and and a horse with no name. Yeah, Jesse's looking around to make sure the coast is clear, and, and this is kind of funny. Where he, he uh, Walt's like, "Do you see anything?" He's like, "I see a cowhouse." And Walt's like, what the fuck's a cow? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Like a
2: a place where the cows stay. (laughs) Stuff like that makes me just love Jesse so much.
3: (laughs) So anyway, they they make this meth and Jesse's so impressed. He's like, holy shit, this is, you're an artist. And so now they got to find out who they can sell it to. So they get the money. So Jesse visits uh, Crazy Eight, uh, who is a cousin, who is a cousin Of the guy, Emilio, that got taken down in the DEA raid, which was Jesse's partner.
2: Not a beaner, to be clear.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, Crazy uh, is like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, Did you set my cousin up? And he's like, no, no. And then Jesse is kind of he's smart. Uh, He's like street smart uh, where he doesn't get defensive. But instead, he's like, he's fucking he's like putting it back on Emilio is like I ought to kick his ass and Emilio walks out and like yeah what you gonna do so so now they basically take Jesse oh but in in a side note on that um which you find out in episode three in a very like just sort of oh by the way um crazy eight was the guy that
2: ratted out Jesse and Emilio which it's yeah, you, you know what? But but I I love that the, this show you has all these scenes and sequels, right? There, they, this show and Better Call Saul is very good at this too. They don't set anything up without answering it later. So if something is now, they don't always do it episode to episode, but um, but but there there is and and there are a few loose ends, but for the most part, if something is set up, you get a really good sequel to that. You get an answer eventually, and you know, down to how this episode ends. I don't think we're quite there yet. but Almost. Okay, because that is a direct sequel to the thing we were talking about earlier.
3: Yeah. So anyway, so Jesse... Um, so basically, these two guys take take Jesse and they want to find out who the fuck is cooking this awesome-looking meth um, and maybe do business with him. But when they, they... So they go out to the desert where Walt is in his underwear in the RV and he's about to cook some more meth. He's waiting on Jesse And these guys show up and like, how about you work for us? And all of a sudden, Emilio recognizes Walt. He'd seen him in the back of the cop car, I'm guessing, or the DEA car. So he's freaking out, and they both pull guns on Jesse and Walt, and they're going to shoot him. Fuck this, because they're probably with the law. Uh, Walt says, listen, he he strikes a deal. You let us both live, and you can tell he's scared. You let us both live. I'll teach you how to cook this perfect fucking crystal meth uh, that looks beautiful. So he takes him inside the RV, and in, in in two things happen here. One one of the dudes is smoking, so he tells him to throw the cigarette out. And they they show the cigarette like from a, a bottom sort of a
2: slow motion coming down. Yes. Just some of the shots on Breaking Bad are way too good for TV. They're just but, so good. But the way they shot it, it wasn't just a casual
3: flick of the cigarette. They were letting you know something's going to happen. It was a foreshadowing, which is it's. The way they do it is great. Uh, but they don't do it in an obvious sort of way. And then and then you can tell Walt is cooking this stuff, and he realizes like he's going to show them, and they got no reason to keep him alive. So he's plotting in his head like what he's going to do. And he throws two chemicals together, which are basically toxic, and then bolts out the door, traps them in it, and they die. Well, sort of. <laughs> but he traps them in there, and they're dead. Yes. Um, yeah, well, one of them survives, and you find that out in episode two or three. But anyway, so that is that is something that a lot of uh, series that do well um, really capitalize on. You got to show why your character is the fucking genius at whatever they're doing, what they know that other people don't know. And that was Walt showing off his skill set, like, okay, I can kill two people with just throwing two chemicals together. And that, that, that shows you, like, you know what Johnny was saying before how the whole chemistry thing is awesome. So then, so then Walt is basically he's waking Jesse up, and then the time is sort of coming back on it, and it's it's coming a so full circle to
2: where it started, which yes. which is a perfectly executed flash forwards. Flash forwards can be really stupid, cheap if they're not well done, but well done, it's a great device.
3: So we flash forward, Walt, uh, he, he, he's trying to wake Jesse up. and He he does. He, he throws him in a the van. Uh, and they both got gas masks on. They're driving. Then they crash, just like the beginning. And then you see, and then it flashes where Walt is standing in the road with a gun, waiting for the fucking, because he hears all the sirens and the cops are definitely going to come. And he's, he's done. And at this point, I'm wondering if he had like an insurance policy or something, like if he got killed by the cops and that's why he was going to do it. Because I don't think he'd want to kill the cops, at least at this point. So I'm thinking that because they don't that they don't really specify that I don't think at any point in the series, but I'm wondering if he had like insurance policy, but then he does something which would negate that he goes to kill himself. He puts a gun in his mouth and pulls a trigger, but the safety was on so (laughs) he can't even do that, right? So anyway, he's standing there and all of a sudden fire trucks pass by. And that goes back to the cigarette. They started a fucking brush fire. So all these fire trucks are responding to the fire. So he's basically now off the hook. So um, Jesse then stumbles out of the RV. He asks, what the hell happened. Walt tells him and then Walt pukes and then says they got to clean this, this whole fucking mess up. And then the episode goes, the next scene is the, the last scene. Walt's in bed with his wife who asks him what the hell's going on. Instead of telling her, he starts to make love to her. Then he flips her over, asserting his masculinity
2: <laughs> and like, right. It's this. It's the <laughs> sequel to the like board hand job on his fiftieth birthday scene. Right. He he's, he's obviously doing something he
3: hasn't done with her before. Uh, I'm guessing, or maybe.
2: in a long, long time. Yeah.
3: So it ends with her saying, "Wall, is that you?" I guess he's like super hard, and that's how it ends. So um, thank you for
2: that little tidbit. <laughs> But <laughs> Dave, that was awesome. <laughs> All right, so yeah, yeah, I, I love how how much question and answer there is. Um, uh, you know, trigger and response, and that's that's a well crafted um story where you see where everything was going, you see where their intent is, which is really amazing. And, it, and that's just the pilot. Like this show is is amazing. We should do not next week because I know we want to talk structure, but at some point we should do a, a show just about great villains. Because um, we have Tuco, who is you know, but Gus Fring. Gus Fring is right up there with Jesse. is just one of my favorite characters. Yeah, that dude's like, amazing. Such a great, yeah. But,
3: but I, I do have a side note on 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 episode three. Okay, so when I first heard about Breaking Bad, I wasn't. I didn't want to see it. Like I actually waited. I think two years before I actually watched it. But I did start at the beginning because uh, so cool. No, I wasn't really interested in a fucking story about a, a meth drug dealing i didn't know vince gilligan was attached i didn't i just figured it was one of those stupid uh sensationalistic sort of shows uh but the first episode is great the second episode those shows hooked me with the what's gonna happen next what's gonna cliffhanger sort of stuff what's gonna happen next i wanted yeah
2: to- but cliffhangers that were story and character based and not shocking like oh my gosh, she's sleeping with the mayor.
3: <laughs> right. But but episode three is what grabbed me that re- made me realize what made this show special. And that was when uh, Crazy Eight, uh, Emilio did die in the van, but Crazy Eight managed to survive. But he, in what happened was Walt and Jesse basically took him and they didn't know what to do with him. So they were keeping him in Jesse's aunt's uh, basement and they decided they're going to have to fucking kill him.
1: Yeah, that's so a Walt- great sequence.
3: So Walt goes down and he starts talking to the guy and they're talking and then like they have this like this shared moment from their past that they, he didn't even realize and Walt is just like oh my god what the fuck I can't kill this guy and he's about to let him go and earlier he had brought the guy like a plate of food but Walt fucking had another like uh, attack whatever uh, cancer or whatever and fell down and the plate broke and then he cleaned it up and threw it away. So he's about to let this guy go and he he goes back into the kitchen. He's throwing something away and he looks at the plate and all of a sudden he has this like flash of like he 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 decides to pull the plate out and assemble it. Because for some reason, he just got suspicious and he realized there was a giant shard of this plate still fucking missing. And the, the moment he's going to set this guy free, the guy is going to fucking kill him. So that that episode, I won't tell you whether he kills him or not, but that episode was just so fucking. It, it's just amazing. It reminded me a lot of the the whole uh, crying game uh, with Stephen Ray, in um, Forrest Whitaker, where the, the he's holding him hostage and th- the conversation between them and like this sort of friendship that was starting to happen. Uh, it, it was just a really magical sort of thing that I think the show does really well. It it will always focus on story above like the immediate uh,
2: thrilling gratification of the viewer, I think. Right, and if you like that, I would say that's even more true with his follow-up show, Better Call Saul.
1: Yes. <clears throat> so just in the, uh, in, in the last few minutes to wrap this up, what, what are some of our key takeaways here? Um, I, I'll, I'll go first, and that was, um, if you want to make a compelling um, case for, for a story, you want to get people to follow along, it needs to um, it needs to be. It needs to have a sense of inevitability. And in this case, it's like what wasted potential if? Um, well, first of all, he he's like it's it's inevitable. Like because he's gonna die, he believes because of his cancer, um, and because he just his life sucks. But also, like this late in life, like this this close to the end of his life, you believe he's he's discovering a superpower that you never knew he had. I mean, he can kill people with chemicals. We see that a bunch of times. Um, there's shit that happens where they're they have to dispose of a body, let's just say, and like just little things like he knows, well, you you know you need to put it in this kind of container or this other kind that, because of, that's
3: episode two,
1: yeah, yeah, that episode just the, the, here's a little tidbit on this. I watched the pilot of Breaking Bad, and I thought this is a really cool show, and it's really hard for me to watch a show without my wife because then I have to hold myself up, you know mm-hmm. and and so I'm like. I told Robin about it. I was like, oh, it's really cool. She goes, well, would I want to watch? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Let me watch a few more episodes and we'll find out. Cause she doesn't like violence and tension. So mm-hmm. not a good show for her. But I didn't know because I'd only watched one episode. And in the second episode is when that happens and they dissolve a body in acid. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> like the next episode.
2: Yeah, we watched that. Um, My my children are 16 and 13, and we just started watching that. And um, uh, because Ethan, who is my youngest, he's 13. um, Haley like loves stories; she's very native to it. But Ethan, you know, not not as much. And so I'm trying to give him more sophisticated things to watch. And I wasn't. We actually started watching Breaking Bad without him, and we were on like episode five or six. And he's like, "What are you watching without me?" I explained it to him. And um, he said, well, can I watch the the pilot and see if I like it? And then I'll catch up. And I said, okay. And so we watched the pilot again with him and he loved it. It's one of, one of his favorite things. So, yeah.
1: So any other uh, takeaways, things well, that you really do with the story?
2: Yeah, for me, I think you have to know your world. You have to know your world and you have to know your people and be confident enough um, in your voice and what you're building to do it in your own way. And if you look at Breaking Bad... Uh, Vince Gilligan and his writing team clearly understand their world, um, you know, and, and their, their characters and what they're trying to say and how their, their people interact with each other and the world around with them. And that's all really important because if you look at Breaking Bad, it does a lot of things that TV had not done before. It does things on its own terms and it really made its own rules. And I don't think you could ever do that without the confidence in your world and story. So. You know, we're going to talk soon about knowing your story for business, and that's kind of the main takeaway here: is if you don't know what story you're going to tell, you can't tell it with confidence. And if they had been the, the example that Dave used at the beginning of the show was, um, you know, Marvel Agents of Shield, and they didn't know where their story was going, they didn't have a chips into Scarface like mm-hmm. anchor to hold them down and, and give them a, a compass to follow. And so, their yeah, show, a setting is not a story. No, a premise is not a story. Right. Well, my,
3: my guess, my guess with Agents of Shield is I, I'm guessing that there were too many people involved. Maybe the network wanted one thing, they wanted another, because uh, things change. So I think there was definitely probably too many cooks in that kitchen. Um, cooks. It, it, well, it, as far as Breaking Bad is concerned, um, like I got nothing else to add to it other than like the characters that come even later. Like Mike Irmin Trot's like my favorite character. Oh my god, he's yeah, so good. In anything. Uh, but also, if you really like Breaking Bad, there is a podcast um, on iTunes for each of the episodes like in the later seasons. And I, I don't think it's in the first one or two seasons. But Vince Gilligan is on a lot of those. And I forget the name of the podcast. You just find it though, inside Breaking Bad or whatever. But they actually break down the episodes in, uh, with the writers and directors and they actually like talk about the whole episode and it's really, really good shit if you are a storyteller and you want to know how they pulled this off, why they did what they did, uh, what cheats they used. if Because uh, somebody on here, says Mythbusters, busted that scene with the, the bathtub and the body and stuff. And yeah, there are things that they didn't get completely right, but yeah. the spirit of it was good enough that you, they right. get a pass.
2: I heard Gilligan on um, uh, the the Nerdist um, Writers Room yeah. podcast. Another and, great show. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really great. He he always has great guests, and, and Vince Gilligan's been on there a few times, and he's always great. And, and one time that I heard him, he was uh, he was saying, "Yeah, we try to get about eighty percent right, <laughs> like because we we do need to know that narrative is narrative, and we can't." Like they have to, their first job is to entertain and tell a story. So they try to get as much right as they possibly can, but that's also another takeaway. Um, it, it's very easy as a storyteller to be so concerned that you're telling exactly this specific version of the story that you warp the entertainment value for the person that you're yeah, trying Yeah, you to have to bend the rules on that.
1: Yeah. Um, and I will just, maybe this is a good closing thing, but I did just want to... Um, follow up on something that Sean said, it was actually what I started to say about a, I said a setting, a premise is what I, what I meant. A premise is not a story. So, um, just remember that a story is, a, it's a journey. You can't take a snapshot of a story. A story has to travel through time. So if, if, um, like the way not to do Breaking Bad's, uh, sort of logline of Mr. Chips, you know, become Scarface. If it was a chemistry teacher makes, has a, a math, you know, business on the side, that's a premise. That's not a story. You it's know.
2: a really good start, is what it is. But but that start didn't get Dave invested in the you story have to know right, at all. That was going. what I
1: thought it was. Yeah, you yeah, have to know where I'm it's going. You have to know that he's going to become Scarface. They do. The viewer doesn't have to know it, but that's the story they're telling. If Otherwise, it would just be episodic, like, what's he, what shenanigans is he going to get into this week? Oh, Walter. <laughs> 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 Brings meth to... Chemistry class by accident. Uh-oh. Uh oh. So, so yeah, anyway, um, so that that'll be this was a, a, a nice, meaty, long episode. Um, next week we're going to talk about telling your business, your business's story. Um, and we will talk a little bit about how we have told our business's story and continue to do so. Um, for those of you who are diehard Dave fans, we will warn you that this episode will not include Dave unless you were to so call over delivered
2: this episode it's fine he, and, and if you are Dave um a, a fan of Dave you will if you are Dave <laughs> you could take the light in knowing that he will be driving across the country at the time
1: and miserable oh yeah definitely miserable but that episode will just be me and Sean and we will try to make it as much as like Dave would want to claw his eyes out anyway we will make it as undave palatable as possible so that he doesn't miss it
2: we actually had a few minutes before the show started where we uh, where we were trying to think of topics. And no, Dave might enjoy that one. Let's not do that. No, no, no. Dave might actually have fun listening to that one.
1: Yeah, Let's we decided to one. do this one on, um, on on aggressive internet marketing this is going to be the next episode. Uh, no, the, uh, the next episode <laughs> will will again be telling your business's story. So stay tuned uh, next week for that. And hopefully we can get the Facebook Live thing going two fifteen Central Time on our story studio podcast page, I believe. So we'll figure that out. Um, but thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Are you wondering what the ever-growing demand for superb storytelling skills means for your future? Check out our latest interview as Johnny and Sean dive deep into that question in Storytelling is the Future, how to build on your self-publishing success. Download the interview from the info box or show notes in YouTube or head over to sterlingandstone.net slash future.